Welcome to the Roundtable Podcast, Episode 54. Hello, everyone. I'm Brian Humphrey. And I'm Dave Robison. And you're listening to the Roundtable Podcast. Each week on the Roundtable Podcast, Brian and I invite writers to come onto the show and pitch a story idea to us and our esteemed guest host. That's right. And then we dig into it, stomp it down, grind it to dust, sprinkle it on our Cheerios, and sift it through our teeth, crunching around for that (laughs) ever-precious literary gold. Damn, son. That's harsh. (laughs) That's cruel. But well, but that's true. what we do. It is what we do. <laughs> I mean, I mean, we're we're nice when we do. we are nice about it. Absolutely, and it is yes. Cheerios after all, and that's a very that's right. That's a friendly friendly cereal. So it's a very cheery cereal. God, <laughs> you know, we might need to switch up just once or twice, just just to just to get the other side of of the, of the <laughs> workshop perspective here, dude. How are mm-hmm. you? How are you holding up with with new daddydom? Oh Lord, it is the coolest thing ever. <laughs> He's he's starting to like respond to things and he's smiling all the time Uh-oh. and you know it just it it uh, it's turning me away from from my villainous nature. Oh my god! <laughs> yeah. See, and yeah. all over the world, innocent souls cry out in triumph and joy, saying, "Oh, yeah. thank you, thank you! Somebody finally thwarted the dark one." At least until I can get him trained up. That's right. So he can be a minion. That's right. There That's you right. go. Awesome. Awesome! Very cool. <laughs> how how are you? I, I forget that I mentioned that I'm I'm reading stories for for money now. I you know I don't think that we've talked about it on on this. So I don't think so. No, I just yeah. I just wrapped up my second book for Tantor Media. Um, uh, they they both been uh, these these kind of cool sci fi stories from like the 1960s. Uh, so they're these kind of retro sci fi stories. But dude, narrating a book. Well, you're yeah. you're doing that already for your for your first story, you know, but yeah. it takes a long time. It does, and you have to stop every time the dog barks. <laughs> yes, exactly, or the <laughs> or the cat meows, depending on yes. which which pet is is lurking outside of your recording space. Yeah, right, right. So, but that's but, so cool, man, that you're doing that. Yeah, it's awesome. It's a dream come true for me. So I am pumped. Um, but speaking of dreams come true, yes, uh, I, I think that's a graceful and appropriate segue uh, to bring our guest host back onto the show because really, uh, I met her back at UtopiaCon almost a year ago, and and she is delightful and remarkable and wonderful and in many ways a dream come true. So she. Or a nightmare, wow. as the case may be. There, yeah. <laughs> I, had to, I had to darken that up because she's. That's she's, right. Remember the the shadows and. Yeah. That's right. Yeah, she's gonna whack me with the with the the dark umbrella. Uh, ladies and gentlemen, please welcome back to the the big comfy chair here at the round table. Uh, author of the Magic Most Foul series and the Strangely Beautiful series, and so many more wonders to come. Please join me in welcoming. Leanna Renee Heber. Leanna, thank you so much for coming back after your 20 minutes with and workshopping yes. a story with us. We really appreciate it. Huzzah! Indeed, huzzah! Much Absolutely. huzzah! Now, now, Leanna, you're, you're an actress, you're a playwright, you're an author, you... Poetry, everything. My God, your, your schedule must be like cram-packed. Can you, can you give our listeners at least a, a, a slice, a sliver, a tidbit... Of, of what's coming up, what's coming from the desk of Leanna Renee Heber in the coming weeks and months? 
a great deal of material. <laughs> um, it's uh, I can hardly keep up with myself. So I'm thrilled that I recently launched a serialization of a new novel, which is the third and final installment in the Magic Most Foul saga. So the double life of incorporate things Ooh. has begun serializing for free on my blog, and I will also be having podcasts available where I will be reading these segments that I serialize as well. So you can listen to it if you'd rather, uh, or you can read it. And I'm actually doing this for two reasons, because I am a reincarnate Victorian, and I would really love to write in the way that Charles Dickens was writing and other, um, some of my favorite novels came out first in serialization. Elizabeth Gaskell, who wrote North and South, um, did so in Household Words and Dickens Magazine. It was all in parts. And so I really, it's such a Victorian thing to do to serialize. And so I'm thrilled about that. Um, it really is. And, and so that's exciting because I can do it now with modern technologies and just release a segment on my blog. And then all of my readers who did not want to wait until November for another Magic Must File book can then at least get little chunks here and there as they go. And then it will be available in full by November of uh, 2013 here. So that's cool. And then all the folks who come to my readings at conventions and they all say, oh, you're an actress. We love hearing you read your work. You should truly, you know, read the audiobook type of thing. Well, I thought, well, why don't I do the same serialization then both in text and then in podcast? So it's a, it's a very big experiment for me because the novel as a whole is not written I am writing it as I go, and I will have an editorial team, so don't worry. It's not like you're seeing this fresh off my desk and it's not <laughs> had any editorial eyes on it. No, I have an editorial staff alongside me, and, uh, and, and then, but it is a different way to write, and it is a different way for me to be experiencing writing and releasing the, the, my work. So that's very exciting um, with, the, with the full book um, to, to come. And I'm very thrilled about Queen Victoria's Book of Spells, which is currently in the marketplace. It uh, is an anthology of gas lamp fantasy that Tor put together. And this is really a dream come true because I am in this anthology with writers that I have looked up to for years and years and years. I'm so thrilled about the lineup of this anthology and to be in it. And I'm very excited. One of my characters um, in my short story called Charged will reappear in my upcoming series with Tor, which launches in 2014 called The Eterna Files. So I'm really thrilled that this year is full of, of my brand, Gas Lamp Fantasy. <laughs> I'm very excited about that. So um, that's, that's amazing. keeping me busy. And, and I, you know, I, I still work in film and television in New York, and I'll be working on, on the musical adaptation of Strangely Beautiful as well. That will be doing some more workshopping and readings and stuff this year. I'll have more to come on that as we decide a venue for workshopping and a bunch of things like that. So I'm also doing a bunch of public appearances around the country. I will be all over the place from, you know, events here in New York to Phoenix Comic Con in May to uh, the Romantic Times Convention in Kansas City uh, to the next Harry Potter convention called Mysticon, which is in May, which everyone should come to because it's going to be awesome. And I'm a huge Harry Potter fan, which is a surprise to no one. And you're doing, are you doing the uh, a session there? Are you doing the director uh, uh, as writer session? Um, I've thought about doing that, and I believe that I will be doing the, the director book workshop where I talk about using theatrical techniques in your writing. I believe I will be teaching that there. That's badass. That's got, awesome. We've got amazing yeah, people cool. coming. I mean, we've got amazing literary guests. I'm putting together a literary track, and we've got 
amazing nonfiction guests. I mean, um, we've just got a, a really fabulous lineup of wizard rockers and things like that. So definitely check out if you're, <laughs> if you're a Harry Potter fan, you need to come to Mysticon. Make that uh, scene. So yeah, so that'll be great. So I do a, a bunch of appearances and you can just go on my website at lianarenaheber.com and go under the appearances contact page and you'll see all of my upcoming appearances are listed. And then yeah, join me for the serialization of the Double Life of Incorporate Things on my blog because that's um, that's really an exciting new venture and I would love to have as many people sign on to that adventure as possible. That is fabulous. And, and cool. Leanna, we will make sure all of that awesomeness gets into the liner notes with links for everybody so they can all connect to it directly well, uh, and, and, and just consume the, 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 the wonderful Victorian splendor that you're putting out into the world. That's fabulous. Um, now, before we roll into the workshop segment, Leanna, I wanted to I wanted to confirm something. Uh, uh, is is it true that you have that one of the one of the theatrical traditions that you hold to very closely is is the tradition surrounding the Scottish play? Oh yeah, I don't say that word. You don't say yeah, that no. word at no, all. No, you can't say. I I very rarely, if I have to say it, I will say it. But I really don't like saying the title of the Scottish play. I just. I just don't. When I my training was in Shakespeare, and my first job was an internship with the Cincinnati Shakespeare Company, and you just don't say that word because things <laughs> fall down in the room when you do. Okay. Uh, truly. Okay. Well, this people get it's bad. This is going to be an interesting workshop. Then uh -oh. that, that's all I'm going to say. So, uh -oh. but we're going to dive right into it fearlessly, bravely, boldly. Uh, after we take a short break, uh, I want to give some airtime to uh, to another podcast or an awesome ebook or or some other audio goodness that's out there for our fans to consume. Uh, and when we come back, we're going to dive into a very interesting story workshop. Sound good, guys? Absolutely. I think it's going to be great fun. Yes. <laughs> you guys hang out. We'll be right back. Over the course of a single night, mystical fires tore through the sky and reduced most of Earth to ash. Ten years later, magical fire burns again, but this time it's in the hands of a young girl named Skylar. Exiled from her adoptive home, Skylar must now struggle through ruined lands and religious zealots who believe she's an agent of the devil. An even greater threat exists in the form of shadowy sorcerers from another world who covet her blood. Along her journey, she meets a motley band of outcasts who not only know the secret of what happened to Earth, but also of Skylar's true origin. Will Skylar be able to accept this fantastical truth? But more importantly, can her powers and raging heart be tamed in time to stop those who once burned the world and now seek total domination? Justin R. McCumber, the author of Haywire, has unleashed his new novel upon the world, A Minor Magic. Published by Crescent Moon Press, it is a post-apocalyptic tale of death, love, and magic. It's available from Amazon and Barnes and Noble, both in print and ebook formats. If you'd like to know more about the author, visit his site at justinmccumber.com as well as facebook.com forward slash Justin R. McCumber. Lords and ladies and jesters and trolls, welcome back to the Roundtable <laughs> Podcast and this episode's workshop proper. 
Let's meet our fearless writer. Dave. Indeed. Fearless, courageous, creative and courageous, courageous is yes. the best way to say it. Bride, did you ever see the last action hero where where the young oh, God, protag- yeah. yeah, young protagonist hurled briefly into a world defined by movie and television tropes? You know that one. Absolutely, right? yes. That world yes. that he gets hurled into, that's where our guest writer lives. <laughs> all right. He takes his mail there. He has his finger on the pulse of all things cinematic, applying his extensive knowledge of the art of visual storytelling as a writer and editor at DVDVerdict.com, offering critical reviews of film and television. And this is why we love him so much. He's also the co-host of the Friday Filibuster podcast, covering movies, TV, and all things geeky. All of this awesomeness can be found at DVDVerdictPresents.com. But... He has ever been a connoisseur of the literary giants, from Shakespeare to Sherlock Holmes to Spider-Man. Now, this combination of passions has come to its inevitable conclusion in his first novel, Cinna High, about an eighth grade class clown who learns he's not human. He is actually the living embodiment of the genre of comedy. And that, dear friends, is available even as we speak out at Amazon.com. Please welcome to the writer's chair at the round table, Mac McIntyre. Mac, dude, it is never easy to bring your baby out, especially with Brian telling you we're going to stomp on it and sprinkle it over <laughs> our cereal. But, dude, That's thank, right. thank you so much for bringing a story to the workshop. We appreciate it, man. Oh, my pleasure. It's really exciting to be here. Uh, it's going to be awesome. Now, Excellent. Mac, dude, you, you've written a book. That's badass. Can you tell us just a little bit about it? Get, give our give our listeners a teaser of what they can look forward to. Yeah, um, basically, just from what you just said, we have an eighth grader who learns he's the living embodiment of comedy, and he has to save his school from the uh, his rivals who are uh, action and sci-fi, the meanest kids in school. <laughs> action and sci-fi. Oh, that's badass. And and friends, I will tell you that if you go out to Amazon, uh, uh, the first uh, several pages of the text are available for free just to get a taste of it, and it's badass. You will be hooked. <laughs> You'll be absolutely hooked. But we're going to put that awesomeness behind us because you're working on a news story, right? Yes, I am always awesome. Then let's let's see what we can do to make it as awesome as possible. Mac, we're going to give you five to eight minutes to introduce us to the story. Give us the title, the genre, the format. Is it a short story, a novel, a series of novels, whatever? Uh, introduce us to the world if it if it's different from the world that we know. Um, hook, line, and theme is always good. Uh, introduce us to the characters, your antagonists and protagonists, and then give us uh, some basic story points a plot progression that we can wrap our heads around so we can dive in and workshop this bad boy i'm going to get out of the way mac the mic is all yours all right well thank you very much um the book is called act four scene one i've been calling it young adult paranormal we'll see what you guys say now as dave alluded to earlier there is an old superstition among actors that the name of a certain play is never to be spoken out loud Instead, it's only to be referred to as the Scottish play. But what if someone actually says it? Oh, no. Our protagonist protagonist is Rebecca Thane, a high school freshman who's just been cast in her school's production of the Scottish play. Her main trait is her fearlessness. Uh, Her attitude towards any situation is to just run right at it with both fists swinging. Now, this fearlessness would be a good thing, but it keeps getting her into trouble. 
uh, her arc throughout the book is that by the time the story reaches its climax, Rebecca is broken down to a point where she finally admits that, yes, she is afraid. But in admitting this, that's what gives her the inner strength she needs to really fight back and survive. As for the other characters, we have Chance, who is the tall, good-looking lead in the play. Rebecca is attracted to him at first, but once things get bad, it's revealed what kind of person he is, a little more selfish, a little more cowardly. Then there is Pickle, who is the goofball class clown. He's in the play because he wants to be a comedian. Uh, Rebecca doesn't think much of him at first, but again, when things get bad, he's the one who shows uh, real courage and integrity and self-sacrifice. And there's Francisca. This is a senior girl who is very angry and very bitter about not getting a better part. She immediately does not like Rebecca. as She's very territorial and is very wary about any, anyone new coming into her circle of friends. Our story begins as Rebecca shows up for school on a cold winter morning for a Saturday rehearsal of the Scottish play. She's been cast in a small role as Hecate, Queen of the Witches. Before she's going inside... Nice. <laughs> she's your favorite. Awesome. Before going inside, Rebecca sees this strange bald man standing out in the parking lot. Despite the wind and the cold, he's out there flying around a remote-controlled model helicopter. This guy is our other main character, but we're going to come back to him. Rebecca has just recently moved to this town and been cast, so she's meeting her castmates for the first time this morning. Rebecca argues that the whole Scottish play superstition is silly, but everyone else goes along with it, and this frustrates her. And when she sees the good-looking Chance and the mean girl Rebecca get awfully flirtatious with each other, she gets even more frustrated. So, she marches out into the center of the stage, right in the middle of somebody else's scene, and as loud as she can, she says the name of the Scottish play. The lights go out, the temperature drops, all the doors slam shut by themselves. Everyone looks at Rebecca as Francisca asks her, what have you done? That is the end of chapter one. From there, the rest of the book takes place in real time, with only a few hours passing from beginning to end. A freak snowstorm appears outside, and of course, everyone's cell phones stop working. The teacher falls to the floor. He's unconscious. After an argument over whether to stay in the auditorium or leave and go for help, Rebecca and Pickle leave, while Chance, Francisca, and the rest stay behind. Rebecca and Pickle encounter wolves in the snow outside, blocking the exits. On their way to the payphone by the main office, a snake bursts out of the locker and threatens them. They run from there to the gym, the interior of which has been transformed into a fog-shrouded forest covered with the sword-swinging barbarians. From there, they flee up to the second floor where a horse appears in the hallway. It's manic and it's out of control and it nearly tramples them. They're rescued at the last minute by that strange bald man with the model helicopter Rebecca saw earlier. He says his name is Stratford. <laughs> so how to, how to describe Stratford? Well, he's our other main character. He is eccentric, and that's putting it mildly. This guy has spent his life traveling around the world studying the paranormal, and his experiences have left him not all there. Uh, if you're familiar with the Sandman graphic novels by Neil Gaiman. Oh, my, yes. Yeah, um, oh, yeah. This, and you might remember the character Delirium. <laughs> yes. This is a very loose comparison, but think of Stratford as about 75% Delirium and 25% The X-Files. <laughs> Alrighty. Uh, awesome. Rebecca, Pickle, and Stratford hide out in the school library. 
Uh, Pickle fears that Stratford is some kind of creepy lunatic, but Rebecca believes he's there to help, so she listens to him. Stratford says that he has been tracking a supernatural evil, hoping to battle it. Only now, he realizes his destiny is instead to give Rebecca the tools and the weapons she needs to battle it. Stratford gives Rebecca his three weapons. He has the remote control helicopter, which is equipped with all kinds of cool gadgets. He has a Shakespeare book, from which he can use verses from the plays to cast spells. And he has a drug made from black licorice. The drug gives Rebecca a vision of New York City in the year 1910, where she sees a wild, mysterious woman cause a riot after a performance of the Scottish play, resulting in dead and wounded up and down a blood-soaked Broadway. Rebecca comes out of the vision and concludes that Francisca is the one behind all this, that she's been possessed by this evil that Stratford has been pursuing. Rebecca, Stratford, and Pickle return to the auditorium to confront Francisca. Before going in, Rebecca says, good luck, to Stratford. The big fight begins right there on the auditorium stage. Pickle is knocked out, and because Rebecca said good luck instead of break a leg, Stratford's leg gets broken. <laughs> yep, yep, nice. I knew that was coming. <laughs> Using Stratford's weapons and what he taught her, Rebecca fights and defeats Francisca. That's when Chance comes out from hiding backstage. He tells Rebecca that he loves her. As he leans in for a kiss, Rebecca discovers a magical love charm on him, and she knows that the fight is not yet over. That's when the evil force that's really behind all this appears before Rebecca. It's Hecate, the real one. Her spirit was slumbering for years, and Rebecca's saying the name of the Scottish play at just the right time and place and under just the right circumstances has brought her back. Now, Hecate will spread chaos everywhere she goes. To extend her time here on Earth, Hecate will steal years away from Rebecca and her friends, all the years of their lives that they have not yet lived. Having used up all the weapons that Stratford gave her, it appears that Rebecca is defeated. But at the last minute, she instead uses the stage lights to electrocute Hecate. His electricity flows in a current, which is logical, and this defeats Hecate, who represents chaos. Now freed from Hecate's influence, Chance reveals that Pickle is the one who really likes Rebecca, and Pickle was the one who helped her get the part in the play. Pickle wakes up, and he and Rebecca leave the building while Chance stays behind to call 911 and help the rest of the cast. Outside in the melting snow, Pickle starts to quote Shakespeare again, but Rebecca shushes him and instead says, Let's just get out of here. The end. And awesome. scene. <laughs> and seeing fade to black <laughs> roll credits all that awesomeness very cool well done master mac well done indeed all right now real quick mac what are you hoping to get out of this discussion what would, what are you hoping we'll we'll zero in on um you can tell i do have a completed draft but i'm still very much in a plot and story structure frame of mind um my writing tends to be filled with hey wait a minute moments where I, I think to myself, you know, oh, it would be really great if X happens. And then the reader says, but it would make more sense if Y happens instead. And then the story goes into the shredder. So, <laughs> okay. uh, so that's, that's what I'm trying to sort out is connecting those narrative dots from A to B to C. So everything makes sense and I can still have all my fantasy craziness. I, I, think, you, I think we have the right team to pull that off. Excellent. Yes. Uh, but before we dive into that, we need to, uh, we need to cover our ass. So, Bri, would you be so kind? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, as we dig into this um, dramatic fabulosity, uh, 
there's there's going to be a lot of stuff that we that we kick around, ideas that we come up with and throw at you, and uh, you have every right to take what you like and pull the curtain on the rest. Pull the curtain. See, I see what you did there. That's there, badass. There's going to be so much theatrical illusion here with all of us. <laughs> oh my Hector god! Just, it's going to be so nauseous. There should be a drinking game. How many theatrical illusions we can throw into this thing? Oh my god! Yes, absolutely. All right. Let's and let's 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 get into that. Let's make that happen. All right. First stage of this process is a very brief. Once around the table, uh, uh, everybody give um, you know first impressions. Uh, what jumped out at you? What can you see? Maybe needs some work. And any questions uh, that you uh, need to to clarify from Mac that didn't quite make sense or maybe needs some filling in. Uh, we'll just do this real quick one time around, and we'll lead off with uh, Leanna. So Leanna, first impressions of Mac's story idea. Uh, what do you want to talk about about it? And any questions that you might have. I am very intrigued. I think it sounds really, really fun. And uh, having been a Shakespearean actress for a good chunk of my life, um, it, it, there, there's part of it that sounds kind of true. Um, so at least <laughs> definitely the, uh, some, of the, some of the tropes of the characters. I'm, definitely what jumps out at me is, is trope, both in fantasy and trope in um, characters that you would expect in, say, a young adult uh, tale. And all of that's really fun. I think you have some unique ideas. Um, and definitely um, the uh, one of the things I'm excited to talk further about when it's time is the, is the, the structure and utilizing Shakespeare. Shakespeare is your best friend here. And, um, and so I, I'll, I'll be interested to talk more about that going forward. And I, I definitely think um, you've got something that is imminently marketable, which is great. Yeah. And uh, yeah, and and really, it's yeah. gonna be a lot of fun for people. Awesome, very cool, good, thank you, excellent, Brian. What about you, sir? Um, okay, a couple couple questions. One is um, one of the great things about about Hackett or, or about the whole exchange in the Scottish play. It's very difficult for me not to just say the word. Um, <laughs> is uh, how how she uses the the three witches. And gets pissed off when they do things and don't invite her in to see it. Are you going to do anything with the with the three witches, or is it Hecate only, really, that is um, kind of possessing people and, and doing different things? That's a good question. Um, I've I have cast the scene with my characters, so there are three girls playing the three witches, um, with Francisca being one of them. Uh, but mostly, though, I haven't think of the witches themselves making an appearance, but more like just thinking of um, Hecate herself being the antagonist. Because okay. as I reread the Scottish play, I, it's frustrating how we're never really told what the witches want. They seem to be just screwing with the characters for the sake of screwing with them. And right. that led me to the whole chaos angle. And that sure. wherever Hecate goes, there's just chaos. Okay. Can, okay. can I jump in here a second? Because sure. I just realized I did have a question. Yeah, yeah. Um, a lot of versions of Macbeth, if you look at the original Shakespeare folios, there are so many different versions of Macbeth, and a lot of times, and I went ahead and said it, guys, I know. <laughs> I, I know, I'm saying you, I clutched at my throat as you did that. I, up, yeah. I went ahead and said it. Well, you know, that is one of the things, too. Not everyone in the world knows the tradition of the Scottish player, what that even means. So at That's some true. point, I figured we probably needed to say Hey guys, Scottish play is called Macbeth, yes. and 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 the and 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 just so that our listeners are aware, the tradition is if you say that that name outside of the play itself, 
Now, obviously, within the play, you say the name within the play, but within the lines of the play, that's not the curse. It is supposedly, if you're saying it in a theater or out and about, and it's not uh, within the lines of the play, then that is sort of verboten. Um, so there is this tradition that something bad will happen and that it is a cursed play in that regard. And I, so I think because, um, so, so definitely I think sometimes um, it's not always assuming that your readership or your listenership is going to understand that, you know, albeit famous tradition, but, um, but it's not necessarily some everyone's going to have an experience with. And then also some people will have been familiar with the Scottish play, but are actually not familiar with Hecate because she often gets cut from production mm -hmm, very, very right, often. Yeah. And everyone right. knows the witches, but Hecate is not necessarily um, always known. So I think as long as your characters, so, so, I, I think that's something that we're going to need to address. So yeah. I, I want to come back to that. If not now, I want to come back to something that I think I think you're going to need to address both the absence of the witches and the presence of Hecate instead, and and the fact that she's cut. I bet the fact that she's cut a lot of times, she'd be super pissed. <laughs> really pisses her off. Yeah, especially well, if so, they so cut her back in to that. story. That was my that that's just a, the, a groundwork thing. I want I'll, we can come back for sure. and for, elaborate sure. further on that. Sure. Well, and and we have a long-standing tradition of saying what if. Uh, right. And we can totally propose an alternative structure that might align more closely to the story Mac wants to tell. So what else yeah. you got, Bri? Um, okay, one other question that I have is you mentioned when you were talking about the characters in the very beginning, you mentioned Pickle, and I, 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 Great name. I that's my favorite character already. <laughs> yeah. um, and that he's kind of kind of the goofy one who uh, you know is sort of the unsung hero, and, and he's the one who self-sacrifices, but I didn't hear his self-sacrifice. Does he have one that you have in mind? Um, it's, it's more like, not so much an action, but just a character trait, you know, uh, when there's scary stuff happening, he kind of s positions himself, you know, between the scary stuff and the rest of the characters, like, no, take me, don't take them. He kind of okay. takes those sorts of actions okay. and that really, that surprises Rebecca because she didn't think he had that in him. Okay. So okay. it, I, I don't, he doesn't actually sacrifice himself. It's just, it's kind of. You know, when the chips are down, that side of his personality comes out. We'll, we'll sure. work with that. Sure. We'll work okay. with that. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Yeah, that's uh, that's it for the first first okay. go round. Okay, awesome. I, and like everybody said, Mac, this is freaking brilliant. I'm loving this. Um, <laughs> yes. Uh, several questions. Uh, first, what what happens to Stratford? Um, at the end. Yeah. Uh, after his leg is broken, then. Rebecca goes on, has to fight without him. Then after all said and done, the big fight is over. Uh, the debris that was crushing his leg is pushed to the side. There's a yeah, little trail right. of blood leading yeah, out yeah, to the yeah. door. But what happens he's off, to him? He's off to parts unknown. Okay. Okay. I'm I'm not feeling that. We need to we need to no. we need we need to work that a little tighter. because uh, mm. he's a cool character. We can we can play yeah. with that. Um uh why Act Four, Scene One? When I and correct me if I'm wrong, Shakespearean dudes, but isn't it Act Three, Scene One that's always the big climactic scene that 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 is the the serious twist in a Shakespeare play? Uh, four, Scene One is double, double, boil and trouble. Oh, ah, Roger that. There you go. And well, it's the scene that they're rehearsing on this particular morning. Okay, well, and see now we have to bring the witches back in. That's that's just all there yeah. is to it. All right. Yeah. And my my one observation that I want to make is, um, and I'm really glad that Leanna is here to workshop this because this is all about that whole connective tissue thing. Um, I I see where you're going with the stage lights being logical and that being the antith antithesis of chaos. Um, but having 
Rebecca defeat Hecate with stage lights doesn't necessarily complete her arc of admitting to her fear necessarily. Mm-hmm. So I just want to put that out there and say when in, in the defeat of the major pro- antagonist of the story, we, we need to have a revelation of your protagonist's arc uh, uh, and have that be a completion of that arc or, or critical to that, I think, uh, uh, so that we can see her uh, achieving what you set out to achieve for that. Um, and and there, there's there's lots of character stuff that I want to talk about and some some other things along those lines. But those are my first thought. This is this is just badassery. Okay, Leanna, what do you want to talk about first? You want to talk about the witches? Um, yeah, I do. I think you're missing an opportunity to utilize them as uh, as plot devices. I think that um, having the three witches as this other external force, um, and it sounds like just from what you were saying. Um, there's a bit of antagonism between Hecate and and the other witches. And so if there's an animosity there, there could be two opposing forces at work here. And you could maybe call upon those witches to actually end up help saving the day as well. Maybe if, you know, maybe if Rebecca can call upon these other forces that have been in conflict. Because, you know, I mean, it, you just don't, I don't want it to, I would hate to see it come across as witches are bad, you know, um, just just a straight across like I, I don't know right. so that's that's just a, a thought of the fact that yes you have the witches in the play um if you have Hecate as this incarnate force maybe these three witches as this other incarnate force is still out there as this other kind of unknown agent possibly um yeah, that would be interesting to me to 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 figure out if okay so if the leader of the witches is you know as as ultimate chaos is is there then what about what about the minions um, I'm always curious about that. And are they, you know, who is, is that a force that has allegiance or not? And is, does Stratford have something to say about that? Is that, is, does Stratford have a sense of, of Hecate as a force? Has he encountered it before, uh, her before? Um, and, and, and will, would he have some instructions then for Rebecca in that? Because Stratford is the mentor character. So I think maybe what you're talking about, Dave, about making sure that Rebecca confronts her fear, I think that Stratford can be instrumental in, you know, there's the part when Giles has, Giles is like, I gotta go, Buffy, like, I gotta get out of your way, you know, Dumbledore dies, um, you know, it's like, there's, it's the hero's journey here, and anytime we're dealing with fantasy, we're always dealing with the hero's journey, we cannot, like, not deal with it, it's not like it's not there, so, so just go for it, um, and, and utilize your mentor characters to make sure that your main characters are really going through that arc in the best way, because, It, that 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 mm-hmm. does two things. Both it deals with because because Stratford is kind of absent in this later part, at least just in your discussing it, absent in his action. This will if he if we can figure out how he can facilitate, um, even without being physically able um, to 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 be a part of all of this, then there's there's just more there's there's a character deepening in all of that. And yeah. and whether you want to use the other witches in that or or not, that doesn't really matter. But I don't think that you can not acknowledge the forces of the other witches as an, as another force possibly at work. It would just be, I personally, my personal opinion, it would be a shame to not utilize them because they are so much more known and recognized. See, I would always do, it's interesting that we're, that we're here talking about this because the Hecate monologue was my main Shakespeare monologue that I would audition for, for everything. Really? So I'm a huge, <laughs> I absolutely love her. And, um, 
and all of this. So I, I think I definitely think you got something great here with that. Yeah, but um, yeah. but I I also think too. Um, uh, another thought I have about um, the connective tissue stuff um, is like when I when I said Shakespeare is your friend here and Shakespeare is your best friend, all roads will lead to Shakespeare and Shakespeare has all of your answers. If you look and say, you know what, something's not working here, then just say, what would Shakespeare do and make it an allusion to some sort of Shakespearean play. If all of this is coming out of a Shakespearean you know, if, if Stratford is, obviously Stratford is named Stratford for a reason, we know this, um, that's lovely. Um, if he's got lines from Shakespeare as the, as the spells, then Shakespeare is the great magic here. So as, as you're going through the school and going into all of these, and there's all of these fantastical things happening, if you can try and tie them into other fantastical things maybe that happen within the Shakespeare canon, then it won't seem as slightly random. Oh. As, does that make sense? Like, oh. it, you know, the idea that, that that all of Shakespeare's mysterious and, and magical things could potentially become unlocked here. Yes, um, yes. Right, right. yes. I'm thinking mm. some of these things seemed a little random on the quest. I mean, the they face this and they face this and they face, face this. That's great. I love that. That's exciting. That's going to be fun and awesome. If you can somehow tie it into other creature stuff that is Shakespearean based, then it won't seem like, oh, and this is the random action sequence. Well, yeah, that's the backstory. Shakespeare, in writing these plays, he wasn't just writing plays. He was binding forces of darkness. Yeah, dude, and Shakespeare ev- is a badass. And let's, let's, <laughs> let's, I mean, that Shakespeare action figure they made, it's for a reason. <laughs> <laughs> well, and, and every play, I mean, I mean, holy crap, Mac, you could have a whole series here. Every well, yeah. thing, too. I was like, and for marketability, <laughs> you could. Totally make <laughs> yes, show right. And, and this does, and, and, oh crap, oh crap, oh, ooh, um, 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 Stratford. Mm-hmm. Uh, do you have a reason, Mac, why Stratford is deranged? Um, well, some things are best left to the reader's imagination, but the, the gist of it is that, you know, all his life he's studied the paranormal, and that's just made him whacked. Because he's seen things the human eyes was not meant to see. Let's take it a step further. What if all his life he's studied Shakespeare, and in studying it so closely, he has literally become a stopgap between the, the demonic forces that Shakespeare has bound in his pieces. So, and, and, and like, he's like, he has to hold it in. He has to hold all of these voices in. And so he's trying to find a way to purge these voices in some way, shape or form. And, 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 and this, you know, the alignment of stars or whatever has created this, this high school production as his first chance to do it. And, and, or last or last yes exactly good point if it doesn't yeah. if we don't start now he's dead he's got a ticking clock uh yeah and- I, th- I think you need to make the stakes as high as possible and and definitely um if you're if you're dealing with uh again if you're dealing with shakespeare and this is you know it, it can't be arbitrary that you're dealing with shakespeare and i don't think it should be because i think within shakespeare you're going to find amazing answers so within stratford's mental uh breakdown and his madness please look at at Hamlet's decay, please look at Ophelia's decay. Please look at all Lear's decay. Look at when you know uh, when Edmund the bastard gets really freaked out about stuff. Look at Richard the Third's decay mentally, um, and, and all of that stuff, and see if there's ways in which you can you can utilize some of those moments um, to to make to make that mental quirk even more rich and 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 uh, and also have it. It's gonna. Have greater resonance and purpose within this Shakespearean uh, setting. Yeah. Right, what, what do you right. think about that, Mac? Does that does that sound at all cool? Uh, it's just yeah, very cool. Because um, <laughs> a lot of uh, Stratford's dialogue is just kind of me picking and choosing 
random phrases from Shakespeare and, and well, messing with them and so they sound why. really quirky. Um, the, the, the random stuff in the encounter inside the high school goes back to the Greek myths about Hecate. I, yeah, yeah, I, I knew that that was very Greek in its in all of its stuff. So that's totally cool and totally valid because that's what Shakespeare was pulling from too. So True. I think as long as you let the reader know that that sort of has that double, then I think that's fantastic. Well, okay. and and what about yeah. um, instead of, instead of having Stratford break his leg, um, uh, let's 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 really mess with him uh and really put rebecca into the into the spotlight have can you have stratford you know we can have like a a middle scene or maybe end of act two scene where stratford goes out with his tools of power to confront hecate and fails he's utterly powerless his tools don't work the only person that can stop hecate is the character who is cast as her because Mm -hmm. she has a connection to her Okay, that okay. That's the gist of it, yeah. Okay. I, I, I want to jump in. Yes, please. Okay, all right. So um, this is this is another one of those, like, like random kind of offshoots. Um, <laughs> I, I think that the play needs to be cut, the one that they were going to do, and Hecate was cut out of it. Okay. And they're, so they're performing the version without her. Um, in, and then as, as all of this, this dark energy is happening, and we don't know that it's her yet, right, because originally they think that it's Fran, Francesca and... Right. Um, and so I, I, as it gains energy, more of the characters start, like, like the witches gain their, their manifestation from this. And Stratford knows that the only way to, to get to Hecate is for her to actually manifest. And the only way for that to happen is for somebody to play that role. Ooh. And then Pickle steps into that that role, uh, kind role of along of the theme of a, yeah, of a man playing a woman. Oh, okay. You know what I mean? Like, traditionally. All right. And so that's his self-sacrificing, knowing that she's very likely going to possess him, um, but there's nobody left, and so he's the only one that can do it. And then, um, so, so that's, that's the, the manifestation of Hecate, is somebody has to play the role, and Stratford's copy is the only copy that they have access to that has her lines, that but, has her part. But how does that make Rebecca, then, the person to defeat Hecate? Well, because they can't do anything to Hecate until she's manifested. And she doesn't manifest until they add her role into the play. Like, her energy is there and her, her viciousness and everything, but, but they can't attack her physically until then. So as soon as she manifests, then you have the showdown with, with Rebecca and Hecate. And then I also think that you need to, at some point, use the theater seats as camouflage, where they pull pieces of the theater seats and start moving toward the stage, you know, because <laughs> Burnham would. <laughs> yes. Nice. nice. Yes. Absolutely. Yes. That's brilliant. That's brilliant. Yeah, the, the theater is being remodeled so they can lift up the seats and move forward. Yeah, that's perfect. <laughs> um, I'd, I'd actually, um, I'm thinking, I'm looking at the story as it is, Mac, and I'm seeing novella here. I'm not seeing a full-length story. There's not enough... Um, stuff going on here. What's what's your word count, um, Mac, for for your uh, the, your draft right now? Yeah. Oh, I was gonna look that up before the show. Um, <laughs> <laughs> that's cool. That's cool. Um, uh, off the top of my, well, that's the other thing. I I had this workshop two weeks ago at another place in Grub Street in Boston, and they were t- trying to tell me to think more of it as middle grade and not as young adult. Yeah, because of the tone and because of yeah. the smaller word count. 
Oh, okay. So, okay. Uh, I, as far as word count, I'm in that area. Well, one of one of the things that I'm thinking is we need to see. I mean, you're getting right to the action right off the bat, and that's you know classic YA and middle grade. You don't you don't waste any time. Um, but I think we need to see something of Rebecca's life. I mean, what if what? What if Rebecca is is scared to death of acting? Um, what if she's not a mixer? What if she's not a joiner? What if she doesn't want to do this? Um, but her parents are trying to push her out of her uh, uh, of her shell. Not that she's not fearless. I mean that that fearless determination of I'm I'm you know that stubborn streak. I'm going to do what I do. Uh, uh, and and when confronted with you need to go out and do this, you need to engage more. It's like fine, I'll do it. But she's terrified of it. Uh, maybe maybe she was cast as Hecate, and and when she arrives, she finds the part has been cut, uh, <laughs> and and gets recast as a lesser role, uh, and that gives Francesca and the Mean Girls, and of course all of the witches are the Mean Girls. Of course, yes. of course, yeah. yes. Um, that gives them a chance to hey. mock. Hey, I'm just saying. I'm just saying. Well, it, I go back to the whole thing about like you know, come on, don't. Don't knock the witches. Come on. Well, but these these witches are from from a literary standpoint. These are not nice witches. No, you know, it's true. It's true. But they're also but. But if you look at that, I also think that there's a lot of been a lot of maligning, though, um, of the witches as well, because, you know, they're sought out and they're sort of there as kind of they're They basically function sort of as the Greek chorus, a creepy Greek Ooh. chorus. They're, they're really the Greek chorus. And so I think they they're not they're not necessarily propelling the action forward in the same way that, say, Iago does. So I don't really think that you can sort of put them in the antagonist role in the same way i mean you know it's, it's lady m who's the bad guy um really in in mac so i think um uh, what if what if we make the the witches as you say liana the oracles and and when stratford right. goes out and tries to defeat hecate and fails it's the oracles who come out and say this is why and and come up with some lovely poetic prophecy that that centers around Rebecca and Pickle's sacrifice. Pickle must must provide the body for Hecate, and then Rebecca must whatever blah 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 blah, uh, so that they can set up the stage and and give that information. Sure, and that gives you the 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 conflict where Rebecca has to you know if she's having to attack Hecate in Pickle's body. But she doesn't want to hurt Pickle. Then you have this massive um, conflict. You know, yeah, yeah. Co- absolutely, sure. Yeah, I mean, and I, I only, you know, I only bring up the stuff about the witches just because I think sometimes, especially with young adult um, and even with middle grade, there's some stuff that ends up just becoming sort of simplistic and sort of tried and true. And I think, I think that the the witches being sort of maligned is actually kind of a, a it's sort of old hat, and it would be really interesting to to make them a much more um, uh, gray area force that could be utilized either way. No, I'm okay with that. The gr- almost like a like a Jack Sparrow in the sense that you never know really are they there for good or there for bad, exactly. and exactly. is what no, they're is what they're doing right. really manipulate like actually manipulating or not? Right. No, and I, and that's I think that's within the play. I absolutely agree that that it's you know they're they're definitely egging on. So it's not like their forces for good, but I also think they're kind of um, they're kind of also able to be on the fence 
um, and that might be useful. But, um, we're, but we're also talking in the context of the story of, of having characters. I mean, the mean girl trope is a trope, and, and I agree. <clears throat> Things tend right, to get... But that's Lady M. Like, you can make Lady M be the biggest bitch at the school. <laughs> so maybe that's Francesca. Yeah. Have Francesca be be uh, uh, Lady M, and and have you know maybe some girls that that are are, are kind of on the outs, uh, uh, and could be Rebecca's friends or could not be uh, uh, be the witches. Can I address the middle grade issue because um, I I'm not sure I don't I mean I write young adult I don't write middle grade. Um, when they are selling middle grade, are they are the characters within middle grade? Are they in you know, like grade school they're they're not in high school because like no grade school is ever going to do the scottish play is is the only thing i would i would think from my understanding of it it's uh usually like ninth grade or tenth grade well and you okay. always read up is is your you protagonist always, you're always yeah. then, that's, then that's totally fine i just yeah, like it, yeah. it couldn't be set in like eighth grade because like, it would be a very right. ambitious no 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 grade. yeah that right right yeah, yeah. i agree okay. Yep, yep, yep. I was told the same thing. Dave was told that that uh, middle grade readers tend to read about kids a little bit older than themselves. Okay, great. So right. as long as yeah. it's still set in a high school, and that, and I think that's I, I do I, I think the middle grade would work because it is a shorter word count, and and um, you can you can really I mean the the real action adventure stuff of of this is 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 definitely right in, along the lines of what that genre looks for so i think there's there there may be on to something with that can can we talk a little bit about rebecca's arc okay uh, uh, i just i want to dive in i, I want yeah. to make sure that the protagonist's resolution you know I'm, it, so many times we've heard on the show that 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 writers think of the end and then write to the end uh, uh, and that provides some focus and and some some attentiveness for for the for the objective of the writing. So so Rebecca's resolution of her issue, which is uh, according to Mac, it's, it's admitting that she's afraid that that and and somehow having that admission of fear and and embracing of the fear and admitting it to the to the world needs to somehow tie in to how this story is resolved. Uh, I'm not necessarily saying it has to be how Hecate is beaten, but uh, uh, I, I'd like to see what what everybody's thoughts are. How can we how can we give Rebecca as much agency and as much uh, uh, drive and and make that final resolution as powerful as possible? Does anybody have any thoughts on that? My my first thought is it's her fault in the in the first place, right? Mm -hmm. So if if something else happens that that traps somebody that she cares about in some way right away that she has to undo it in order to get that person back or you know something along those lines that mm -hmm. um that, that that will kind of push her in that direction so that she has to has to take that on herself as opposed to just stand around and let everybody else do all the all the work yeah and also just the her pride and her presumption Sure. Um, definitely, a, a, you know, her, her pride in, in hubris is what makes her go out and do the thing you're not supposed to do. Um, and it really is. And then just really realizing that you can't tempt fate quite like that, you know, in, um, and, and, and the lessons that, that, that she learns from that and that realization and wanting to hold out maybe as long as possible with her not feeling like it's her fault so that we really see her journey towards realizing, oh, you know, I, I shouldn't necessarily write off everything. Um, even though, you know, it's, it's, it's interesting. 
I don't know, I've been thinking a lot about skeptics versus believers and all these various things. And so whatever line, whatever line she's on, um, whether this completely proves something that she thought could be true or if it completely proves something uh, or if she's completely flabbergasted by all of this and, and doesn't, obviously she doesn't take it seriously or she wouldn't have said it. So, so any of these realizations that she has both about, both in a hubris standpoint and then just about um, the, the, her belief in, in what's around her, uh, her acceptance for all of that, making yeah. sure that those, that those are very, um, th- it's not just a, a switch that's flipped, right. making sure that that is a gradual realization and, and her stubbornness, it needs to not just get in the way one. I mean, it needs right. to get in the multiple way multiple stages, multiple, multiple tri-fail mm-hmm. cycles. Yeah. M- Mac, yeah. you had mentioned that her trick is to ad- admitting her fear, her fear of what? Um, Hmm. I, that's a good question. What about yeah? What, what, I, yeah, what that's a good. A, I'm glad you brought that up. What if crazy stuff just keeps getting thrown at her and <laughs> finally gets to be too much? But, what if, yeah, what if it's her fear of connection? What if what if her parents have moved a lot? What if what if her her father's a military guy or whatever? Um, she's had friends and been torn away time and time and time again. Uh, uh, the world is getting weirder and stranger. You know, never mind the supernatural crap. Uh, the world is just getting freaking weird anyway. Uh, uh, and and she's just become very withdrawn. She's terrified of making a connection. Um, and and having you know. And I, I can see, you know, Chance and Pickle. You know, what if Rebecca likes Chance? What if they're buds and friends and Rebecca has maybe romantic aspersions towards Chance? And Chance, as soon as they get into the rehearsal, is like budding up next to Francesca. Maybe he's playing Mr. B. Uh, and, and you know, he's playing the lead. So he and Francesca, being Lady M, are going to be all buddy-buddy. And that makes her crazy because she likes Chance. She wants to be with Chance. Um, Pickle is going to be cast as the porter, of course, because he's the comic <laughs> relief, right? <laughs> right. Okay, so Pickle is, ca- Pickle is cast as the porter, but in order to make the sacrifice that he must make to embody Hecate so that she can be defeated by Stratford or Rebecca or whoever, he abandons his role and becomes Hecate. So a porter, the gatekeeper... The person who controls doors is now flying free and there's nobody to play that role. So Rebecca can play that role and and she can, for Pickle, because she hates this stuff, take on that role uh, uh, and and beat Hecate and, and somehow, I don't know, lock them both into a room using her new porter powers. I don't know. Uh, uh, and, and, and somehow admit to pickle that she is his friend and she will never let him go. And in doing so Hecate's chaos is banished because of the stability of true friendship. Bam. Wow. What do you think? Yep. Yep. <laughs> uh, that's, yeah. That's a lot to soak in. I'm, I'm trying yeah. to connect the dots there in my head. Yeah. But I definitely see where you're going. Chew on that. That I, I think, yeah. I think if, if, you know, I like the idea of having order and stability working against Hecate, but if her fear is of connections with other people, then a confession of true friendship is going to be a stabilizing factor that could conceivably banish Hecate. Well, and I think it can be a combination of these things. I don't think you necessarily have to entirely ditch the electricity idea, no, but I no, think no, it needs to be not. more than just. It needs to be more than just that. That can be a part of the thing, but if it's, but I almost sure. feel like she. It also she needs to be a more powerful force than just that. That can be a part of 
the demise. I mean, that can be one aspect of trying to break her down. But I think one zap isn't doesn't really make her a big boss at the end of the level, as it as it were. Right. So so I think I think if it can be multiple things, and then the idea that there are these other character connections that factor into this defeat. Um, however you want to do that. And I mean, I yeah. think yeah. one of the ways one of the ways that I take criticism the best um, is to take in what people are saying and to take in people's ideas. And a lot of times I chafe at them at first because it's it's not my ideas, but but maybe I can see where that leads me to a different idea. So I think for me, when I'm if I am in your if I'm in your shoes um, and there's this onslaught of stuff that we're all saying to you, your trick is going to be, through this stuff and then finding your own personal way of taking any of these suggestions and making them your own because any one of these things if it does not come from you it's not going to look organic on the page so it has to it has to be filtered through your own sense of okay so these are these ideas about these character arcs deepening and really that's kind of the that's kind of the theme about all of this is, is deepening the character arcs along the way and making sure that each of these characters is as fully fledged and as interesting as possible within their tropes. Nothing wrong with the tropes at all. Absolutely play into them and don't run away from them. You can turn them on their end when they it's, if it's useful, um, but, but they're your friend and Shakespeare is full of them. So Shakespeare, again, Shakespeare's your friend yeah. and, then, um, and then the tropes are your friend too. Uh, and, and then just deepening those as much as you possibly, possibly can. Yeah. And then if you get really, really stumped, go watch Cabin in the Woods. <laughs> <laughs> Definitely. There's, there's yeah. parts, I mean, because I think if like, like for look at genre study and trope study, that's maybe one of the best. Like, I really hope that film programs will all teach that film because I think it's <laughs> one of the most brilliant uses of, of and plays with all of these things that we're talking about, actually. Well, and Mac, to, to reaffirm what Leanna is saying, yes, everything that we're saying could be complete bullshit. You do know that's that, right? right? Yeah, but, it, okay. but no, I, I like it, and it's kind of it's, okay. it's all like all right. Banging, I, my head's the pinball machine right now. It's already <laughs> banging around. Ah, that our work, our it's working. Eureka! <laughs> right, Brian, do you have anything that you wanted to throw into the ring here, sir? Well, yeah, I was kind of thinking that that Rebecca could start out. I, I I don't like we've thrown so many things out. I don't remember what she what you had her as at the beginning, but if she's the assistant director. That's a really easy position to put somebody in who's new to the school or new to the theater. They don't really do very much. The stage manager does most of the stage management. The director does the directing, and the assistant director just kind of sits there and takes notes every so often. <laughs> and, and hides. And, and hides yeah, and behind hide. the script. Right. So then if she comes, you know, if she gets fed up with it because she just she hates the script, she hates the 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 whole superstition. When she says the word, the director disappears. She's suddenly going to be the person that everybody's looking toward for oh. guidance. So that was just a thought. Yeah, no, that'll work. So what's good about that'll that work. is putting your characters in posi- positions of agency, um, and that so, however that is, whatever whatever right. can give her the most agency in these moments, um, while still keeping the the characters who help her still active. So that's yes. the balance you got to strike because because Stratford still has to be active and present, but then he can't do it for her. So that balance between mentorship and 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 um, empowering the lead characters, um, that striking that balance, and and however you can figure out from to maximize her ability to do things is the best. Yes, choice. especially well, since it's something that she never had asked for or never would have asked for. You know, 
she was very safe in her position of non-power. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. And 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 use the the removal of the director. Ha- have that be from the powers somehow that are manifesting. And I just want to throw this out there cuz this just occurred to me. Mac, have you ever seen um Rosencrantz and Guildenstern are dead? You know, I've heard good things about it, but I still uh, haven't found the time. You, you so, need to. So, <laughs> for this, absolutely it's, for this project. It, it's on the Netflix. I could go watch it right now if I wanted to. You should. Yeah. Here's the you thing. Should. What happens in that story is that there's this whole story that goes on between Rosencrantz and Guildenstern, and then periodically, Hamlet happens. And the right. scenes mm-hmm. from Hamlet occur, and then we go back to Rosencrantz and Guildenstern doing their thing, blah, 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 blah. And I can see... You know, I know you've got the whole Greek thing rocking in the background, but what if the play is unfolding? You know, Brian, you talked about right, you know bringing right. in Burnham Wood. What if, in, instead of random shit and chaos and Greek stuff, what if Macbeth is happening? And as they make their way through these various challenges, you know, each scene, each turning point of the play could be a challenge that Rebecca and Stratford and Pickle need to somehow deal with, escalating slowly as the drama of the show escalates, and you've got this great fight scene at the end. Between between Mr. B and Macduff, uh, mm-hmm. and 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 I mean, there's wonderful climax there, and then oh man, you've got and Ban- Pickle was from his mother's womb, untimely, <laughs> <right>. <laughs> and you've got Banquo's ghost, and oh my That's god, right. all the awesomeness right. in there. You could really, I, I could see you overlaying Macbeth over this. Oh, I said it. Oh my god, um, <laughs> oh, no. and the internet, and okay. the internet died. Yes, good point. Right. You already <laughs> broke the broke the seal on that. No, I did that. I, I, I took it on so that you, so, I, so that I could spare you. Oh, no. Noble that's sacrifice. Self-sacrifice. That is guys. why you are the hero of this story, Leanna. No <laughs> doubt about it. It's noble sacrifice. That's just a thought, Max. Something I know that's that's a massive rewrite of what you've got going on, but I could see that structure. Uh, uh, I mean, it, it would appeal to people that do know the play, and to the people that don't, it'd be very educational. Because uh, right. you could really explore some of the themes, or at least the superficial elements, and then weave in your story arc into that. I, and and the thing is, because then you could go on to Hamlet, and you could go on to, to oh my God, Othello, and, and just have a whole series of these awesome things as, as Stratford tries to purge all of these demons that are bound in the Shakespeare plays. I just unless well, of course you're not I, really a fan of Shakespeare. Well, <laughs> suck it then. <laughs> yeah, if you don't, I was gonna say if you don't want to be hanging around Shakespeare for a while, then then, uh, then yeah. yeah, then maybe not. But but I do think you know Mac, what you said something about you know the connective tissue is what you're sort of looking for at this point. I think look no further than the Shakespearean text. So yes. I think the idea even it wouldn't necessarily be a massive rewrite if when you're finding your connective tissue is faltering a little bit, well, then look to the play and see how the play could bolster you within that moment. And that might not necessarily mean a full rewrite. It would just sort of mean a threading through, kind of a loose stitching through, um, and find out ways when the play can support that structure of what you're already doing. Right, and it's perfect because Act 4, Scene 1 is where Hecate manifests, and that's where she could manifest in your story, escalating it to the next level. Badass! Oh, guys, I'm I'm looking at the clock. I'm watching it tick down. I'm thinking we need to wrap this up. So I want to go one more time around the table uh, uh, and have each of us uh, uh, give some closing thoughts, uh, impart some suggestions or or one more idea to fill Max already full head uh, uh, and and send him off with as much literary gold as we can as we as we wrap this up. Leanna, I'm going to start off with you. What about final final words for Master Mac? Um. I don't really want to add any more ideas into the mix here because I think there's been definitely enough said. Um, I think um, just don't 
don't be frightened of of any of the uh, the stuff that's come before. There's so much wonderful structure for you that's laid out. Um, recently, one of my friends told me to look back at the hero's journey. Literally, um, the you know looking at the looking at it written out um, and looking at the inciting incident, the call. Um, the time that the mentor comes through, um, all the various trials. You've got this sort of, you know, you, you mentioned the Greek stuff. Um, make sure that you're also looking at that, um, uh, you know, those great heroes' journeys and thinking about how that relates to your work. And you're going to help, you're going to find some answers within that. So both both the heroes' journeys within Shakespeare's plays um, and then in that Greek tradition, um, in that classic tradition, and then just making sure that you're, your story is, is hitting those various levels because on as a reader, we all kind of know the hero's journey. Um, we just don't necessarily always know that we know it. Um, and, and if something veers off of that, somehow we're kind of uncomfortable. So just looking at those structures and just making sure that your whatever you choose to do with any of these ideas, um, that structure will ultimately support you. And especially in young adult and middle grade, all the stuff sticking as close as you can to the hero's journey points, the bullet points of that is, is going to be sort of your, your, uh, your compass as it were, I think. Yeah. 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 Excellent. Excellent. Okay. Brian, what about you, sir? Well, I'm, <clears throat> I want to say kind of the same thing, but from, from a teacher's point of view, especially if you're looking at doing this for, for middle grade, you know, one of the things that students love and getting them to read in the first place, you know, other than a lot of the girls, but the boys. And so if you want to try to appeal to the boys, one of the things that, that students love is making connections with things that they, that they know. And so I, I, I really love the idea of having this very closely kind of weave in and out of the story line itself of Macbeth and have those little things like the, you know, and it doesn't have to be the theater seats that they use as camouflage to be Burnham Wood, but things like that, that you've already built in with her name and, you know, all of the other things that, that you're kind of playing with. Um, and I love it. And I think I, I would say don't shy away from it and use as much of it as you want because kids love that. And the more connections that they make, the more that they want to read and try to actually guess um, what other things you might be using or what direction you might be going in. And so don't shy away from the big ones because if they guess and they're right, even though that sounds like it's maybe predictable, um, they, they fucking eat that up. <laughs> yeah, don't be afraid of this being too Shakespeare-y. No, yeah. certainly not. Really? <laughs> Go for it. Make it further. Make it more Shakespeare-y. Awesome. Mm -hmm. and, and you can even have Rebecca, like, kind of rolling her eyes at that and being like, in order to beat this bitch, I have to talk in Shakespeare, you know, and kind of making fun of, of that whole thing. You can have your characters make fun of it so that when the readers are sitting there, they're not making fun of it because the characters are already doing it for them. And then they align with those characters. Yes. Right? Yes. You know, absolutely. Again, going back to the Shakespeare is your friend. Right. Uh, and use that. Awesome. Awesome. Um, for myself, Mac, uh, <laughs> I, I'm, I'm not going to hold back and give you more ideas because I, more of them just occurred to me. Um, <laughs> uh, oh, here we go. Here we go. Um, no, it's not a big deal. One of the things that I think that, that I think was really important in this discussion was discovering what Rebecca's fear is. Um, and, and Mac, I don't know if you're going to go with the fear of connection and the parents moving and all of that. I, I think that's got legs. Um, but that's that the backstory. Yeah. Okay. Okay. Awesome. So we can work with that here. Here's the thing to amp it up. The, 
one of the things that was bugging me was you know this explosion of of saying the the, the name. Uh, uh, we need to push her just a little bit further down the road of, of of frustration. So what if in the opening scene she's dropped off by her dad, and her dad tells her uh, as she gets out, "Hold on, honey, we have to talk. I'm being promoted, and we're moving next week." Mm. And now suddenly it's happening all over again. And if at the right. end, after she has found the power of these connections, have her have a talk with her dad and say, it's important to me that we stop doing this and, and be articulate and rational and not stomping her feet and saying, no, I don't want to move again, but saying, this is killing me. I'm, 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 I need, I need these. I have these friends. These are important. And, you know, whether dad says, okay, or not, that's up to you as far as how you want to end the story. But having her step forward and say, this is what I want. This is important. And and bring the the, the whiny, no, I don't want to, meh, and make it, turn it into a, a real discussion of the issue that Rebecca is confronting. And holding that through as your through line uh, uh, and reminding always that everything has to point back to that in some way, shape, or form. That's a through line. I think that can give you some real strength or something like that. It's an example yeah, yeah. of, of <laughs> what I'm talking about. Anyway, holy crap. Um, <laughs> damn, Mac. Uh, dude, nice job with the yes. story pitch yes. uh, and bringing this this rich, rich food to the round table buffet. Uh, clearly, <laughs> we're, we're, we're still frothing and we probably will continue <laughs> after we hang up. But man, thank you so much. I know this wasn't easy and and just total badass. We really appreciate it, man. Uh, thank you, guys. Um, my head's just swimming right now. I got so many ideas, so many different <laughs> possibilities. So, uh, yeah, thank you very much. You betcha. Oh, yeah. You bet. Now, look. Now, when you write this, Mac, here's the deal. You 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 publish this thing. EPUB it. Patio books it. Uh, uh, get it, get a big old contract from somebody. However it gets out there, you let us know. One, so we can read it. Uh, <laughs> and two, so we can knight you. That's the deal. Anybody that actually publishes a story here on the round table, we will bring you back and we will hold a formal knighting ceremony and you will become a knight of the round table, dude. That's, That's the right. Deal. Sweet. Yep. It is sweet. Yep, it's yep, awesome. Yep. It's awesome. Um, and holy crap, Leanna, uh, thank you so much for your input on this. This yes. was Absolutely. your, your back. Thank you. Yeah. This is, this is yeah. awesome. This is just fabulous. Oh God. And, and, Brian, yeah, wow. I mean, this was this was an amazing story, and and lots of. St- I, I'm 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 obviously at a loss for words, which is freaking amazing <laughs> for me. Yeah, so. and as as odd as I am by the fact that you're out of words, I think I'm more odd by the story. Yeah, yeah. I think yeah. I think there's there's some amazing stuff here, and and speaking Definitely. speaking of amazing stuff, the amazing thing to me, Bri, is that our listeners keep tuning in week after week, and that is freaking amazing. Uh, yes, it is. Uh, and so thank you, dear friends, for tuning in. As always, you complete the cycle for us. Otherwise, we're just shouting into a dark and empty potosphere. Uh, now, you, you know the deal. If you have ideas, and, and you know you do, um, you come back to the post and drop them into the comments section. Mac, I will let you know when those comments start coming in. We can continue this discussion and all the awesome ideas to come on that post line. So we're counting on you for that. And while you're at it, just... Guys, spread the word. Uh, let folks know that the roundtable is out here and that there's literary gold every single week. 
uh, for people to feast on absolutely free. Uh, a review on iTunes is always helpful. Uh, uh, letting people know that we're out there at the website, www.roundtablepodcast.com. Uh, you can always uh, drop us a line. Uh, we love it. So many of you have, and feel free to do so again. Uh, the table at roundtablepodcast.com is the email address, and Brian and I will both get those messages. That's and right. In general, just just wow, just just join in because this is all kinds of fun. Oh man! Now I know everybody's going. Wow, this was amazing. And and how can this get any better? Well, I'll tell you how it can get better. We can do it all over again in just a couple of days. We're going to start this whole cycle again. We're going to have another awesome guest host to come on and share the pearls of wisdom that they have gleaned from their hard, cruel years as a as an aspiring writer to their glory and height that they have reached. We're going to have courageous guest writers coming out and offering more story ideas, more workshopping awesomeness, more literary gold. Uh, but thank goodness, because I need a break. Uh, that's not going to happen for a couple of days. So nope. be- between now and then, Bry, uh, what do you think, man? What, what what should we be doing here? I would say step out of that darkened theater and go right. Absolutely. Absolutely. Infuse the world with your awesomeness, because your story has that power just like everyone else's. You find what you're looking for, friends. So look for the awesome stuff. Look for the blue label top shelf goodness, and you will find it. I promise. We will see you in a couple of days. Until then, you guys stay cool, be frosty, be awesome, and we will talk to you soon. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. This episode is copyright 2013 by the Roundtable Podcast and is released under a Creative Commons attribution, non-commercial, share-alike license. That means don't sell it but you can share it all you like. And you can even use pieces of it in your own derivative work, as long as you attribute us as the source and release the work under the same licensing terms. Theme music composed and performed by the talented Hepcats of Brotown, Gary Gold, David Labroyer, Billy Nobel, and Matt O'Donnell. If you'd like to be a guest writer or guest host, or learn more about the Roundtable podcast, please visit our website at www.roundtablepodcast.com or visit our Facebook page at facebook.com slash roundtablepodcast. Our Twitter tag is at writerspodcast or you can send us an email at thetable at roundtablepodcast.com. Thanks for listening.